Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Our prayer is that this message will serve to edify you in your walk with Christ in the weeks to come. Today, we had the privilege of having Brother Jody Allman come and preach for us, and he did such a great job. We are excited to present this message to you this morning from Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 31. Here again, Brother Jody Allman. Good morning. Uh, sure excited to be here with you all this morning. Um, in case you didn't know, my name is Jody Allman, and I'm from the big town of Prescott, Arkansas. Actually, I'm from the big town of Laneburg, Arkansas, but if you know where that is, I'd probably be surprised. I believe there's a few back here that probably do, but Laneburg is just kind of a, a curve in the road, but that's where I grew up. Um, I'm so happy to be here. I'm thankful that you all would allow me to come and, and speak to you this morning. It's my prayer that the Lord speaks through me and that you don't hear me, but you hear him talking to you. Um, I first want to apologize. You know, if, if you knew, I was supposed to be here in uh, November to preach for you. And unfortunately, I had the flu. And y'all didn't want me up here, trust me. Y'all did not want me spreading that around. That was some nasty stuff. But I'm certainly glad to be here today. And uh, as, you, as you turn in your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 16. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Today, I've titled my message, Q&A, Question and Answer. And that's pretty simple, but to give you a little bit of background on me, well, I work for a company, you may, you, a lot of you may know the company, it's Farm Credit Services. We loan money to farmers, that's what we do. And in my job, I'm an analyst, which means I analyze all the numbers of these loans to decide, you know, are they credit worthy? Can the borrower pay that money back? Do they have the equity to stand on if, they, if something happens and they can't pay it back? Collateral, all that stuff. That's what I do every day. Well, in that job, it is my job to ask a lot of questions. Now, if you've ever dealt with um, a bank or maybe even with farm credit, if the loan officer tells you, well, my underwriter wants to know, that's me. I'm the underwriter. I want the one that wants to know. So I have to ask a lot of questions. Well, within that, when you think about my job, now my customer, quote unquote, is the loan officer. The loan officer is the one that feeds me all the information. I look at it, put it, run it through spreadsheets and calculations and formulas and all that. And when the numbers don't quite make sense, I've got to ask him questions. Well, a loan officer's job is to sell a product. So they really, really want that answer to be yes, and they don't like going and asking too many questions because they, you know, y'all know, you don't like answering a whole bunch of questions. You feel like you're giving up your whole life or something. Well, sometimes there's stuff that I've just got to know. So when I ask those questions, I make sure that those questions are very direct, and I make sure that the answer I get is very complete. See, because sometimes you can, y'all know, know how you can kind of answer a question and 
just kind of skirt around what the actual question was about and get an answer that sounds good. Did y'all ever do that um, in school? When you wrote a paper, you, you wrote three sentences that were about the topic and the rest of it was fluff. Y'all ever done that? Well, I did. I'm going to confess. I, I did that in college. But with all that said, I like getting, I like giving direct questions. No beating around the bush. This is what I need to know. And then I like to get complete answers. I want you to answer the question, whether the answer is good or bad. Let's all be on the same page, right? Well, in this text today, we're going to read about a direct question that was asked to Paul and Silas. Okay, so if you would, let's stand and we'll read our text and then we'll, then we'll go into the message. We're going to start in verse 22 and we'll read through verse 31. It says, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent their, off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to assemble here together. Lord, I pray that as I speak today that it's your words that this great congregation hears. And, Lord, that they will listen to what you're saying and they will respond accordingly, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll go before me. Lead, guide, and direct, and bless this scripture as we discuss it, Lord. It's in your sweet son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So today, in this message, I want to highlight three main points. And those three points, I'll go ahead and give them to you. It's, we'll see the punishment, we're going to see the praise, and we're going to see the providence. The providence of God. Well, as we get into this, as we get into verse 22, we need to back up just a hair and talk about what has just happened. So, where we are in this time of the Scripture, Paul and Silas are in the city of Philippi, and this is part of Paul's second missionary journey. He's gone out with Silas, and they're going around and they're doing what God, what Jesus told us all to do. They're going and they're telling people that he came, he died, he rose again. They're telling people that he came as a baby. He is the true God. He is God in the flesh. He died, he rose again, he conquered death. He's the only way to heaven. That's what they're telling these people in Philippi. Well, as they're walking around and telling people this, here in Philippi, they come across this girl that's a demon-possessed girl. So if y'all look in verse 16, I'll read 16 through 18, it says, And it came to pass... As we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So they were met by this girl who was possessed by a devil. The devil, a demon, inhabited her body. And because of that, 
She was someone who could tell the future. Now, I, uh, I think about when I was a kid. Y'all probably remember the commercials from years ago. Cleo, and you dial 1-800 or 1-900 Cleo, and she could tell you everything that had happened and was going to happen. But then they'd ask for your credit card number. It's like, well, Cleo, don't you already know that? You know? Well, anyway, Cleo was supposed to be a medium or a, a fortune teller or a, someone who could see the future. Well, that's what this lady did. But y'all know something? She was possessed by a demon. The devil and his demons are created beings, and they are more powerful than you and I. You cannot put them in the same box as you put humans. Now, praise God, he's more powerful than they are. But because he, because the devil had possessed this girl, she was out being able to do this kind of thing, and she had some power. Well, because of that, people paid a lot of money to her owners. She was a slave, and they paid a lot of money to her owners to do this. They made all kinds of money off of this young girl. Um and it says, then in verse 17, it says, The same followed Paul and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Why in the world would a girl possessed by the devil go around telling folks, This is Paul. He serves the Most High God, and he can show us the way of salvation. Why would she do that? Well, I think about that, and I think about back in Mark. Do y'all remember the story of the demon-possessed man at Gadara? Y'all know what the Bible says there? In Mark 5, 6, it says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. The devil and his demons know who Jesus is. They were in heaven with Jesus before the fall. They were there, and they knew exactly who he is. They know the power he has. In fact, even in Mark 5, they said, please don't do this to us. Don't send us into the abyss. They knew that they have no power over him. You know, the Bible says one day every, tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I think that these, this devil, they can't stand it when they're in the presence of Jesus but to tell him, you are God. We see that there. So she's running around town saying that about Paul. Everywhere Paul goes, they go to prayer meeting. Hey, this is Paul. He serves the Most High God. Well, y'all know what? Let's read verse 18. It said, And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned around and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. She was wearing Paul out. He was getting so sick of it. Why would he be getting sick of a girl that's telling... I mean, that's what he's there for. He's there to be known. He's there to proclaim God. He's there to tell these people about Jesus. And she's running around just telling who he is. You know why it was bothering him so bad? Because he knew this girl's reputation. Did you know that if you're a proclaimed Christian and you tell folks that and you live wrong, did you know that you're hurting the cause of Christ more than you're helping it? Just because you're saved doesn't mean you can run off and live any old way. If you go off and live the wrong way, the unsaved are going to see you and wonder, why would I want to be saved? They act just like I do. That's why God calls us to be different. That's why we're, not to, be, we're to be in this world but not be of this world. So that's what Paul was thinking. He's like, this girl is nuts. I, I think about Barney Five when I say that. Y'all remember when Ernest T. Bass would come to town on Andy Griffith? He'd say, he's a nut. 
He's a nut. This girl was a nut. And Paul did not want her hindering his mission, his time, and he wanted this demon out of her. So he cast the demon out in Jesus' name. It's the only way he could do it. Paul didn't have that power, but through Jesus he did. He cast this demon out, and when he did, her owners got livid. Now their money source is gone. What are they going to do? Have y'all ever noticed that? When our money source is gone, we start we don't always think in the most godly way, do we? These people, they didn't care that a demon girl they didn't care that a demon girl was saved. They didn't care that their town was rid of a devil. And they didn't care that evil was no longer in their community. They cared that their pocketbooks were going to be lighter. That's all they cared about. Well, they go off to the to the big dogs of, of Philippi and said, hey, these guys have to go. One, they're causing trouble. And back in this time, this city was a city that was, um, it was fairly peaceful. Anybody came in and disrupted that, they didn't like it. They did their thing and they went on. Well, these people had disrupted. They, and they said, we don't like them. And, hey, guess what? They're teaching a doctrine that's not approved by our government. See, that government had only one doctrine that they would allow people to teach. And if you didn't, te- if you didn't ask them first before you taught something new, it was bad news. It was against the law, even though it was the truth. Well, with all that being said, these guys had gone in there and done it. So then, we get into, then we're going to get into our uh, scripture reading here. We're going to see the punishment. Before we get there, I want you all to think about something. Today in the USA... Do you know how close we are to these times of the government says you can't teach it, so you're not allowed to? Do you know how close we are to that? Now, as we go into this scripture, I want you to think about that. Paul and Silas did what God said. They didn't do what the government said because they knew God, God's word trumps all governments. God's word is preeminent over everything. And they knew that Jesus had said, go out and make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's what they were out doing, no matter what the government said. Folks, we're getting very close to a time when we might be punished like what we're about to talk about. So I want you, as we go through this message and these scriptures, think about the punishment they got and their reaction to it. In verse 22, it says, The multitude rose up against them. The magistrate rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them in the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So after they were accused of disturbing the peace, teaching something they weren't supposed to teach, all because they had healed a girl, think about that, they really hadn't done anything wrong, All because of that, they said, beat them. So they were beaten. I think this was Paul's second, maybe second time to be beaten. I I shouldn't have said that because I'm not sure. But anyway, he he was beaten, I think, three times badly. This was one of them. But they told him, beat them. And then they told the jailer, you put them in there and keep them safe. We want them put away. Don't let them out. So the jailer takes them throws them into the inner prison. This is what I think of when I think about that inner prison. Y'all know when here in South Arkansas, we have, and, and we're about in it, tornado season. Warm air's coming in, the cool air's kind of in there. 
and we have these tornadoes. What do they tell you to do? First thing, if you don't have a storm shelter, do what? Go to the innermost part of your house because it's the safest. That's what this prison cell they were in. It was in the innermost. There was no outer walls. It was right there in the center of the prison. So they had to walk past a whole bunch of stuff before they could ever get out. Not only did they put him there, put the, these two men there, said they put their feet fast in the stocks. And the stocks was they would chain them to these wood deals and they'd have their legs spread so far apart and chained apart they couldn't move. And not only could they not move, this was causing great strain on their muscles, giving them muscle cramps. They're hurting. Y'all ever, y'all ever had a Charlie horse at night? Just think about that all the time. That's how bad off they were. This was a harsh, harsh punishment. They're in pain. They've been humiliated. They've been beaten. I can imagine they're probably bleeding. They're bruised. No telling what all is going on. So that's where they are. They're hurting. They're punished. They're taking this punishment. Then we come into verse 25. It says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. All right. Now, did y'all remember when I said they were hurting real bad and they were in this? And what about the part where I said they did nothing wrong? They had not done anything wrong. And here they are, stretched, beaten, hurting, cramping, bleeding, everything you can imagine. And the Bible says, first, says, and at midnight they prayed. Now, that one is, I'm not going to say hard to believe, but a lot of times when we get in sorrow, when we have a tough time, when we're in the middle of a storm, our first thing is to go to God in prayer. So they prayed. Now I will say something about that real quick while I'm in the area. If the only time you pray is when you're in trouble, it's not near as powerful as if you've praised him in the good times too. You know, we can call down God's blessings through praise I'm getting ahead of myself, but we can, we can show God how much we want his blessings when we praise him all the time. And we have so much more power in prayer when we've done it in the good times to when we go to him in prayer in the bad times. Our natural reaction is to pray, and our prayers are more powerful when we've done it more. But it didn't stop there. It said they, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Now, now here comes the tough part. How many times have you been in a bad spot? You've been in, whether it's depression, anxiety, or you're in a, you know, a sad time, you're worried about maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your grandkids, whatever. Health scare, name whatever you've been through. How many times have you actually sang praises to God during that time? That's what they did. Y'all, they were potentially, they didn't know what was going to happen. They did not know what was going to happen. They could have been thinking, you know, it could have been going through their mind. They could have been thinking, well, you know what? Um, we may have to stay here forever, and then we can't preach Jesus anymore. Maybe that was their thought. But <clears throat> the fact is, not only did they pray, they sang praises. We can learn from that so much that praising God is not from an emotional experience. You know, a lot of times I've heard people over the years say, well, that song leader, no offense, Brother Corey, I'm not talking about you, that song leader did not sing the songs I like, so I just didn't sing. 
Well, I don't like these new songs. And then the younger people, well, I don't like those old hymns. You know what? We're called to praise God. It doesn't matter what we feel. We're to praise Him. Our pastor said that he heard of a guy who the pastor walked out the door going out to his car and somebody come up to him and said, well, you know, I just really didn't like that song the song leader sang today. And he said, well, that's fine. We weren't singing it to you anyway. <laughs> it's not about us. It's about God. We're here to praise Him. It's not about how we feel or what we like or what we want. It's about Him. And that's what we need to always remember. Why in the world would Paul and Silas be in a spot to praise and sing praises unto God? Maybe they got to sitting there thinking, you know what? This is bad, but God is good. You know what? This is terrible, but you remember when Jesus, Paul said, you remember when on the road to Damascus, Jesus said, look, I want you to follow me. And he put those scales over my eyes, and then they were, they were gone, and I could see, and I followed him. You remember how bad I used to be, but how good I am now? It's all because of Jesus. Even though we're here, we're good. Everything's fine. Everything's great. Maybe that's what they were thinking. The last part of that verse, I, I love this part. It says, and the prisoners heard them. When's the last time you praised where somebody could hear you? Somebody that maybe didn't know God. Have you ever praised him in public? Now, I'll tell you one other thing our pastor says. He tells the Holy Spirit's not weird. Okay, it doesn't mean we have to walk down the sidewalk. Oh, victory! You're walking down Walmart. We don't have to do that. But when's the last time you gave God thanks for something that you've done? For something that He's done, I'm sorry. When's the last time you gave praise for something that God's done to maybe a lost person? Or maybe just in line at Walmart? When's the last time you did that? It says, And the prisoners heard them. So the prisoners heard them. Now we get to the big stuff here in verse 26. It said, And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Guess what happened when Paul and Silas started praising God? God showed up. God came down. God entered that prison. I heard one preacher say, Elvis is not the only one that shook the jailhouse, made the jailhouse rock. God made the jailhouse rock on this day. You know why? Because Paul and Silas praised his name. If you look throughout the Bible and you see times of earthquakes, God was at work in those times. If you look back to Exodus in chapter, I believe it's 19 and verse 18, it says, And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. The earth shook. There was an earthquake. Y'all know what was happening? Happening right there, God was giving his law to his people. He was establishing the law and giving it to his people. And when he spoke, the earth shook. Well, there was another time the earth shook. When Jesus died on the cross. It says, and he gave up the ghost, and the, uh, he gave up the ghost, and the earth shook. When the law was given, it shook, and when the law was fulfilled, the earth shook. Three days later, it says, and the angel descended, and the earth quaked, and the stone was rolled away. When Jesus was raised from the grave, so not only when the law was given, he fulfilled the law, and then he defeated death, and the earth shook. 
Now, I just can't hardly talk about an earthquake. I don't know if y'all are uh, 1990s sitcom fans, but I used to I used to watch a lot of Fresh Prince of Bel Air. And there's this one episode where he gets Will gets stuck in the basement after an earthquake, and he is all kinds of shook up. And he said, "Look, the earth moved." He said, the earth moved. He said, I'm moving back to Philadelphia where the people move and the earth stays still. I don't like it when the earth moves. Well, guess what, folks? The earth moved. The prisoners heard the praises of Paul and Silas. And when he heard the praise of Paul and Silas, then the earth started quaking. All their bands fell off. All their bonds fell off. They come right out of the stocks. Every door in the prison was open. How does that happen? God, that's how that happens. You know, I'm reminded of a story. Y'all remember in Daniel, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Y'all remember that? When they went into that fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow to the king, they went in that fiery furnace. The Bible says when they came out, the only thing burned on them was their ropes that held their hands together. It even says they didn't even smell like smoke. I tell you what, I just got back from a business trip. I had to go to I had to go to Jersey City, New Jersey this week. And we went into the city a couple of times. And we weren't around a whole lot of smoke, but we were around some, and let me tell y'all, it was some nasty stuff. Some stinking stuff that them folks up there are smoking. You smelled like it all the way home. I just couldn't wait to get home to get my clothes off, and all we were doing was walking on the street looking at stuff. Well, at that point, it doesn't matter what smoke you walk through, you're going to smell like it. Guess what? They didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing that burned up was their bonds. Jesus will take care of you in your suffering. He will walk with you through it. Did he save Paul and Silas from the beating? No, he didn't. Did he save Paul and Silas from being in prison? Nope, he didn't. But you know what? He was with them the whole time. And you know what? He got them out of it. That's just like the, the uh, children in the fiery furnace. Not to mention uh, Daniel in the lion's den. Did he escape the lion's den? No. But God was with him through it. The Bible even says in the fiery furnace, said there's four men walking around in there. I thought you only put in three. Said, yeah, well, the fourth one, it looks like the Son of Man. So when we praise God, the Bible says that God inhabits the praise of his people. When we praise God... He will show up. I heard a story one time. You know, we can't tell God when to bless us. That's his deal. That's his decision. We can't tell him, you need to come down and do this now. That's not our job. But you know what we can do? It's like a sailboat. You know, when you're in a sailboat, you can't make the wind blow. But you know what you can do? You can raise the sail so when it starts blowing, it'll catch that wind. If we raise praises to God, he's going to know that church... That person, those people, they want my blessing because they're praising me all the time. I'm fixing to bestow that blessing on them. So that's the things that we can learn from how they reacted to God through praise. Was it easy to praise God then? No, they were human just like us. I'm sure they wanted to have a pity party just like I'd have had. Lord, I'm doing right. I'm doing everything just right. And here I am. I'm hurting and I'm stuck and I'm cramped up. They could have, they could have reacted that way. And, I'm, and it may have very well have crossed their mind, but you know what? They didn't do it. They praised God because they knew how good he is. We sing, how great is our God. 
Our God is great. He is holy. And he deserves our praise. As we go on, as we, we come out of the, uh, the praise, now we're going to see the providence of God. So let's look in verse 27. It says, And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors opened, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. See, back in this time, if you were the jailer over the prison, if one escaped, you got the punishment they were to get. So I can imagine there were probably some prisoners in that prison that their punishment was death. And this jailer knew that, and he said, I'm going to save all the embarrassment. I'm going to save everything. I'm just going to kill myself and get this over with. It's coming anyway. But then we see the providence of God in verse 28. It says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Through God's providence, Paul knew what was happening. Now, maybe he heard the sword coming out of the sheath. Maybe he heard rustling around in the jailer's room, however that works. I don't know what happened, but Paul knew to say, hey, wait, don't kill yourself. We're all here. So that brings up a question. Why didn't they leave? They were free. Number one, they'd not done anything wrong. They were falsely imprisoned. Why didn't they just leave? What were they thinking? Well, number one, they didn't want to appear to run from guilt, I think. You know, sometimes if you escape and you're, you've been accused of something and you take off and you don't know, a lot of people are going to think automatically, well, they did it, now they don't want to fess up to it. They knew they were caught. I don't think Paul and Silas wanted to do that. They had some new converts here in this city. They'd already led people to Christ. They didn't want them to think that they were bad. So they wanted to stay. They also didn't want to go against Roman law. So they stayed. But I think even bigger than that, I think Paul and Silas were so in tune with God, God appointed them to be there at this time and not leave because he knew what was about to happen here in verse 29, 30, and 31 that we're going to get to in just a second. They were so in tune with the Lord and his will for their lives that they didn't want to leave because they knew what was going to happen next. They knew they were supposed to be there. A lot of times we get out of the word, our prayer life gets slack, and sometimes we wonder, what does God want with me? A lot of times that's on us. God will tell us if we'll listen. God will tell us if we'll ask. I can tell you, I'll tell most places when I preach my first sermon there, I ran from this call for about four years. And part of it, I knew it four years ago. I felt it. But I, wasn't, I just kept saying, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I can't. I'm not good enough. And I would run. And you know what that would do? That would lead me away from the Lord. I'd get out of my Bible study. I'd get out of praying every day. And then I couldn't feel it as bad. And I'd think, you know, you're not doing right. And I'd start reading the Bible more and doing all that. And when I would get closer, I would feel that call again. And I didn't, I, I'll be honest with you all, I didn't like it. Finally, it came to the point that I said, Lord, I'm going to do what you told me to do. And that's when I surrendered. That was back in August of, of 2022. And so they were in tune with what God wanted for them and knew what God wanted for this jailer here in just a second that we're going to read. They were way more interested in keeping people out of hell than they were getting themselves out of jail. That's what they wanted. What do you want? Do you Are you like these 
these slave owners that you want, you'll live with the devil as long as you've got a bunch of money. You'll live with evil around you as long as you can, you know, go to the lake and do all these things. Or are you like Paul and Silas that even though you're in jail, in prison, hurting, you're going to stay just so you can see one person saved? We can learn a lot here from Paul and Silas and what they did. But not only did Paul and Silas stay, he said, we are all still here. I wonder why all those other prisoners stayed. You know what I think? I think they had just heard two men singing. They had witnessed an earthquake, and they said, we got to see what happens next. You know what happens when you live for Christ? When you live for Christ, people wonder, what do you have that I don't? What do you, what does that person have that I don't? How can they be happy? Their wife or their husband's going through cancer and they're smiling all the time. They're even saying things like, God's good. How can God be good when they're going through that? You know why? Because we have Jesus and we know no matter what. I heard a Bible study one time. God may not deliver you from the fire, but he, he, he can answer you in three ways. He can deliver you from it. He can walk with you through it. Or he can deliver you by it. If you're a child of God and you get cancer, now this is, I understand folks, this is a hard pill to swallow. But if you get cancer and it's terminal, do you know you are still better off? Because when you die, you'll be in heaven. If you're a child of God. That's the blessed hope that we have. That's why Paul and Silas could be so good. That's why they could be okay with what they had going on. And I think these jailers wondered, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to stick around and find out. Because these men are different. Something different's happening today. We go into verse 29. It says, And then he, which is talking about the jailer, he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. My, 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 how the tables have turned. Here, just a little bit before this, this jailer was the one that threw him in the prison. I would imagine this jailer may have been one that was beating them. This jailer was the one, there's no telling what names he called them. There's no telling what he did to them or said to them. He put them in those stocks. This jailer was in charge. But now, it says, he came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. We're fixing to see what Paul and Silas are really made of. Did you know anybody that's in a, that's in a position of authority when you get in that position of authority, you can show who you truly are. Paul and Silas could have done a whole lot to this jailer. And as humans, the fleshly desires that we have would have probably been, let's beat him like he beat us. Let's kick him. Let's make sure that he, that everybody knows that he's the one that we got out while he was here. All that stuff could have been done, but they stuck around. And in verse 30 it says, and he, or, and brought them out. We're still talking about the jailer. He fell down before them. It says, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here's the question. Here's the direct question from this jailer. He said, look, I know that y'all are men of God because you were praising him and he showed up. He knew that. He said, I want some of that. I want some of what you got. What do I have to do to be saved? Did y'all know this is the only time this question is directly asked in the Scripture? Now, the Scripture tells us several times how to be saved, 
How do we come to know God? How do we get to heaven? The scripture describes that several times. But this is the one and only time that that question is asked in the scripture where somebody says, what do I do to be saved? I don't think God's going to mess up that answer. Verse 31, we've got the answer. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? You know why it sounds simple? Because it is simple. God gave us a free gift. Have you ever received a gift? We just came out of the Christmas holiday. Did anybody give you a gift? Did you have to do anything for it? No, you had to take it, open it up, and then take it home with you. That's all you had to do. That's all Jesus asked us to do. Um, Jesus has said that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. Paul and Silas said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Paul, over in Romans, in a familiar passage, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made known unto salvation. Then if you skip down to verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that easy. It's that easy. So the question that was asked, How can I be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now as I close, I've got a question for you. It's a simple question. It's a direct question. It's to the point. Have you ever been saved? Have you ever asked Jesus to be your Savior? Have you accepted his gift, of the free gift of salvation that he gives us? See, had Jesus never, had Jesus never come to earth, had he not been crucified on the cross and rose from the dead, we all have no hope. He is the only way to heaven. You know, there's a lot of people nowadays that say God is evil and God is bad because he only let one way to get to heaven. Well, friends, that's not right. God is gracious and God is good because he provided one way to heaven. Number one, there were no ways. There was absolutely no way to heaven without Jesus and God gave him. And number two, by there being one way to heaven, by there being only one way to heaven, it's not confusing. I don't have to worry about doing penance and doing Hail Marys and doing all this stuff. I don't have to do all that. All I have to know is, have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? So I ask you the question, if you died today, where would you go? Would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Because there's only two destinations. Everybody in here is going to one of the two places. What's the difference? The blood of Jesus. Have you accepted that into your life? Have you asked him to be your Savior? These questions I have are direct, and they're to the point. And you know what? They're designed in a way, there's no way for you to get around that question. Have you been saved? There's two answers, yes or no. Where will you go when you die? There's only two answers, heaven or hell. You know, some of you may say, well, Brother Jody, I, I'm not real sure, but I, I don't want to deal with it today. I want to deal with it later. i got another question for you. What if later never comes? I'm not saying this to scare you. I know a lot of people think preachers get a bad rap for trying to scare people into getting saved. It's not because I want you to be scared. I ask this question because I love you. I know where I'm going. As a seven-year-old boy, I was saved. 
I knew the Lord was calling me to be saved, and I asked him to be my Savior, and he gave me a peace that I could not explain to you if I wanted to. I could stand up here for two or three hours, and I couldn't explain to you the peace I got at that moment. But you know what? Have you ever had that peace? Have you ever asked Jesus to be your Savior? Later may not come. So I wonder, have you been saved? Then there are those of you, there's probably a bunch of you in here that, yes, you have been. You've been saved and you know it. When's the last time you praised God in the hard times? When's the last time that you saw heaven move on your behalf? When's the last time you saw that? See, if God inhabits the praise of his people, maybe we're not seeing God because we're not praising him enough. Maybe we're missing something in our lives. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying to God every day? I know y'all have heard this illustration a million times. If you didn't talk to your spouse but once a week, or if you didn't visit with your spouse but one time a week, how close would y'all be? How close are you to God if you only visit him when you come to the house of God? How close to God can you be if you never talk to him? Um, if you're his child and you haven't felt him move in a while, maybe you need to get your praise right. Here in just a minute, I'm going to come. I'm going to uh, ask the musicians to come. I'm going to come stand here. I've got, the, I've got another question for you. If you're not saved, you answered that question. You, I've, I've asked the question, are you saved? Have you been saved? Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior? If you know the answer to that is no, here's my next question. Why wait? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Why would you wait? Jesus is waiting. Jesus is here. His Holy Spirit is dwelling in this place right now. And he's here to save you. Would you come down here and let me show you how? Would you come down here during this next song and let me show you how to be saved and ask Jesus to be your Savior? Would you do that? For those of you that are saved, I've got another question for you. Have you ever been closer to the Lord than you are right now? Can you point to a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are today? If the answer to that question is, yeah, one time when I was so-and-so years old, I was a lot closer to God, you know what? you got some work to do. Even if you're closer to God now than you ever have been, you know what? You can get even closer. So I want you to think about that. Maybe you need to come down here to this altar and do some business with God on your walk and your praise. I don't know what your heart is. I just want you all to know that I'm here. If you need to talk, we can talk. And if you're not saved, folks, time is running out. We don't, we're not promised. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.